What is up, Bridgewater Nation? Welcome back to another episode of Ridge Runners Live. Today, wonderful, wonderful guests, reoccurring guests at this point. They're pretty much part of the part of the group. Uh, Sarah Beal and Michael Owen. Sarah set the new women's course record of a time of 5.03, beating the previous course record by over 20 plus minutes. And Michael took home his third promised land win, putting him in the elite company of runners who have won that race three times. The show was absolutely awesome. Michael joined us a little bit later than we were expected, but it was wonderful. So we hope you all enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of Ridge Runners Live. Tonight, we are going to be joined by the two champions of the Promised Land 50K that took place in Bedford, Virginia this past weekend. Our two guests tonight are very familiar to Ridge Runner Nations, but let's start the introductions off with the newest Promised Land women's course record holder who shattered the previous course record by 20 plus minutes. Coming to us all the way from Columbus, Ohio, Sarah Beal, how's it going? It's going pretty good. We're super excited to have you back on the show. Uh, you've been a part of these Regionals Live now a couple of times. But before we dive too deep into your course record, I do want to introduce the man who's been searching for a long, long time for a Promised Land course record and the link to join this show. Uh, some people know him as the LeBron James of Ohio Ultra Running. He is an elite group of runners that have won this race three times now. Coming to us all the way from Pomeroy, Ohio, very shortly will be Mike Lowen. Uh, but we're going to start things off with our traditional question. Uh, what is everyone drinking tonight? And Sarah, if you want to start it off, start us off. So I have something new. Um, it's an IPA from Kona Brewing Company. So it's pretty good. Which one is that? Which IPA? Uh, Brew IPA Hibiscus. No clue. Just got it the other day. Really like it. Big fan of most things from Kona. So I didn't know that you could get it on the like on the East Coast and it was kind of master did When I had it out in Hawaii, I was like, oh, this is the coolest thing ever. And then I came back to the Midwest and it was everywhere. So uh, glad it's <laughs> easily accessible. Uh, yeah, everywhere. pretty much. Cam, what about you? Well, I forgot, uh, forgot the unmute button. Good to know Michael isn't the only one having difficulties tonight. Um, in traditional Cam fashion, I have a sleepy time tea here for me because it's nearly 15 minutes to my bedtime. So, you know, it's going to be a quick show tonight, right? We're going to keep you up as uh, we always do, Cam. That's how we always do. I'm also on the tea energy today. So I just have a green tea. That's just because I got the second poke today. So I really just wanted to, you know, make sure I'm doing all the little things. I had a salad for lunch, really going all out on the uh, extra precautions or whatnot. But uh, Sarah, let's dive into your race. You know, a lot of people are going to be curious about, you know, what it was like running Promised Land for you. This was such a big race for you. It was an A race. You ran the Super Bowl Trail Championships a couple of weeks back, won that. But just before we dive into the actual race, let's just set the scene for people that have never been to the Promised Land Youth Camp. What was your uh, emotions like when you arrived on camp Friday afternoon? And what was the vibe around camp in the Friday night? Um, so it was definitely different from any type of race. Um, it was tent camping the night before and definitely not used to that. Um, but it was a pretty relaxed, uh, environment. I mean, everyone was just all camped out. The whole field was, uh, filled up with cars and, and tents. And, uh, it almost didn't feel like it was the night before a race. It just felt like it was, uh, just time to hang out and, and have a good time. Um, so that definitely was uh, a way to calm the nerves, just very relaxed environment. 
Did you prefer that style? I believe for Super Bowl, I believe you on Ridgeliners Live, you mentioned that you kind of drove up, uh, I believe, the yeah. morning four for that race. So did that play a difference, you know, being able to be at the starting line the morning of? And uh, did that play much of a difference in the race for you? Well, somehow I um, at Super Bowl, I was at the starting line before the, um, I was at the starting line of Promised Land. I almost missed the race. <laughs> even though I was super close. Um, but no, in general, I definitely like to be there the night before. I just, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of driving the day of, I, I can do it and it's, it's fine, but I'd rather be there the night before, just kind of get relaxed and settled in um, and just not have to worry about the stress of, of driving. So you kind of mentioned it there briefly. Uh, you almost missed the start at Promise Land. Yes. <laughs> wow, how does that happen? <laughs> I don't really know. Um, I don't know if it was uh, just trying to hurry up and get ready um, in my car or uh, honestly, I don't know. Or it's just a personality thing. I almost missed the start, but I think it helped a little bit because uh, I just kind of ran up and um, just went like I got a place on the line and it was time to go. Um, So definitely didn't have time to even think about anything really. So the gun goes off, you know, all the emotions of a race kind of start flowing through you. What were those early miles like? Obviously, you know, the race kind of starts the big climb, four mile climb up. Uh, what were those miles like? Uh, were people kind of chatting, having a good time or uh, was everyone just kind of in the zone locked in? Um, there was definitely some chatting uh, and it was nice to be in a big group at first. Uh, chatting at first, but then after the first couple miles, it got pretty steep. So the chatting um, kind of became a minimum. Um, and then everyone was just trying to get up that, that last little climb, um, in the first four miles. Were you with a bunch of people or kind of like, what was like the field like around you? Obviously we kind of talked about in a preview prediction video, how this field is super stacked. And what was it like out there being in such a competitive field, uh, as promised land was this year? It was really exciting. Uh, just knowing that there was a bunch of other people around to, uh, push the limits and, uh, and just, you know, being, um, being there on race day and knowing that there was a bunch of people ahead or behind that were really talented. And, um, in the first, I probably started out a little faster, uh, in the first, uh, uphill climb, but, um, uh, I don't know. I felt really good. That's fair. And usually, you know, when I'm thinking, oh, I feel really great at the start of this race and I take that first climb way too fast. Um, I don't set course records. So like kind of explain to us um, a little bit what your mindset was going in, knowing that this is a race with 7,000 feet of elevation. And obviously you're a super talented runner, but you're not training in a place that's anything like the Promised Land 50K course living here in Columbus. So like, what was your kind of thought process about like the course specifically about starting the day with a huge four mile climb, um, any of those sorts of things? Um, it was definitely a lot of unknowns. Uh, I mean, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't uh, a little stressed and going into it, knowing that I don't, I mean, in a week's time, I don't get as much elevation as the race sometimes, most of the time. Um, so it, it was stressful going into it, but I tried to kind of focus on more, uh, or different areas, uh, of my training, like my longer runs, um, kind of hitting a little bit more higher mileage than I have in the past and just my overall fitness. Um, because if I focus too much on the fact that 
I, I haven't done that type of uh, climbing and I, I haven't trained on that type of, of terrain, um, then I was just going to talk myself out of it. Did you feel like that first climb or like, were you prepared for it in training? Like, was it, obviously you don't have a 2000 foot climb uh, in your back door in Columbus, but where did you just like prance up it and it was just your fitness kind of carried you through it or, or did you feel prepared going into it? And how did you feel coming off of that first climb? Uh, so I honestly was super surprised with how, um, how good I felt coming off of that first climb. Uh, I think that there was a lot of adrenaline and just kind of getting those race day jitters out of the way after the first climb. So I didn't feel as taxed when I got to the, uh, the top, but I knew once I got to the part that, um, eased up a little bit and flattened out that I needed to dial it back a little bit and just kind of recover and, and get in a good groove of things. Yeah, but that's, I mean, like Kim was kind of saying, obviously your training kind of played a big part into uh, just the, the specificity. Oh boy. That's, that's a, that's a new word. Leslie can't say. That's a new word. Leslie can't say. We just found out live on returns. That's awesome. You won't see that in another prediction video, but um like I was saying, yeah, just like you can't be as specific in your training with those big climbs. So what do you do as in workouts or to kind of to simulate those bigger climbs? Is there anything specific you did like tempo run on trails or maybe just more hill repeats, like of like 300 feet or what did you kind of do to prepare yourself uh, for that? So a few weeks uh, before promised land, I actually met up with Mike um, who is still not here, but it's fine. <laughs> um, and we did uh, we went up and down. I mean, it's just a lot of repetitive, like going up and down, uh, different, um, climbs on, um, the Athens trails. Uh, so that's what we did. We, um, there, he had, a the trail, um, connectors. We went up and down, uh, a couple times each trail connector. Uh, so a lot of repetitiveness and we kind of, um, attacked those a little bit harder. I, I did a few, uh, tempos on, um, some trails in Athens. Um, but around here, especially in Columbus, if I do stay in Columbus to do a longer run, it's a lot of repetitive finding, um, one of the only Hills around and just going up and down it a bunch of times. And so with, with that style of training, do you think that that does anything to sort of like your mental fitness on race day? Whereas it's gotta, at least for me, right. If I'm sitting down and like, I'm going to run this thing 20 times, you know, that's a much different mental space to be in than just knowing that you're going to run this one climb and get the same amount of elevation. And it's going to be a different view each time. You're not going to have any of those downhills to break things up. You know, what was that? What was the difference? Like, I mean, do you think that's like a really effective way to train for these sorts of things? Um, it definitely seemed to help whenever I was on the course, because I've done so much repetitive and maybe not the best views with the Hills in Columbus, that when I was out there on the course, it was just different, different view all the time. And I was more focused on my surroundings, which definitely helps like here it's, it is pretty mentally taxing going up the same Hill a bunch of times. And I can cover about 20 miles in maybe two or three mile radius, which is very, very uh, much of a struggle at times. So yeah, I just think that it was so refreshing going into this race, knowing that I was just going to be out on a long stretch of trails and seeing different things and maybe not even worrying about, you know, 
what hill I'm going to go up and down um, multiple times again. It's just following the path and having a big open space to, to um, get through. So the sunrise, take us through that on race day. The race started at 530 in the morning and obviously it's dark for the first hour or so, but you're hitting the grassy road at that section of the course where you can really start to open it up. What are those miles like kind of just in those middle miles there uh, from like say five to 12? Oh, uh, it was so beautiful. I, uh, I actually, I caught myself running and whenever I'm really focused on something that I'm running or I'm, I'm focused on something while running, I tend to veer towards it. So I had to tell myself, okay, don't fall off the mountain, really focus on staying on course. But, um, yeah, the, the sun was rising, rising over the mountaintops and that's not something I get around here. So, uh, I, I really caught myself uh, a bunch of times. Just, I think I even said out loud at one point because um, I was kind of by myself for a little bit. So I said out, out loud, that's so beautiful. <laughs> Probably sounded a little crazy, but uh, it was, it definitely just got my mind off of the previous climb that I had, I had first originally the um, first few miles. And uh, it was a good way to start the day for sure. So when you come into Sunset Fields for the first time, uh, what were those emotions like? Obviously, you know, kind of the first bigger aid station uh, on the day um, and just kind of were you quick through it or kind of what was uh, your emotions kind of going through that? Um, the Wait, the one that um, had a bunch of like different people there. Yeah. Yeah. The sun, sunset field where, you know, Cam's car broke down in the, in the middle of the, uh, the way, uh, uh, on the course, literally every runner had to go around the, his car. Yeah. That's great. I still don't remember that, but, um, it's okay. Uh, no, I, it was just, I, it was very, um, energizing coming through that point. I always love going through aid station anyways. I feel like it's, uh, it's a good recharge just, um, being around people and people cheering and, um, some of my favorite things that I hear are like go girl or like you beat the boys or something like that. So, uh, I heard a, a, a few, um, phrases like that and, uh, it was, um, I don't know, just got me through the next section. Yeah, that makes sense. And <clears throat> excuse me, I keep hearing from people. This is a bone that I actually have to pick with everyone who ran the promised land 50 K that they didn't notice my car. <laughs> literally on the road down nope. to that aid station. So for people who don't know, my transmission went out on a dirt forest service road, like right in front of the aid station. And it did so at just the time because of how we were there covering the race that um, every runner had to go around my car. This is not a joke. Check our Instagram uh, story for the picture of that car. It's probably still not up, but you know, I assume it's in one of the highlights. Um, how did so many people not notice that they had to go around a car, but are still like, this is the prettiest aid station in the world. And I'll attest it was because I was there all day. Yeah. I, I think that there was just other things to look at. I, I don't know. I'm honestly alarmed that I did not notice your car. You know, I had the camera, I was running behind Sarah and like, even with a camera, you know, I did not notice I was running around a car and it was took up the whole trail. <laughs> like It was, it was awesome. It was awesome. But kind of going out of that section, Sarah, uh, you were in first place, obviously, I, I believe you were ahead of course record pace at that time. Did you know that? Were you thinking about anything? Did you know how far the other competitors were behind you or were you just kind of doing your own thing and staying, uh, running your own race? Um, yeah, I had no clue how far anyone was ahead or behind. Um, I, Mike had, um, had given me a pace chart to go off of. 
for each aid station, um, just kind of a, a time to be at each aid station in order to be on the course record pace. And um, I n- knew through uh, the, the paces that I was ahead of um, those paces, but I didn't know how far. I honestly didn't know how far until probably the last mile, <laughs> how far I was ahead of it. Well, that's, I mean, that's kind of a better way to run it anyway. I feel like, you know, just kind of can staying in your own controlled race and uh, kind of just continuing to attack the race down. You go down part of the Apple Orchard Falls there before kind of continue down a big descent for the next eight miles or so. What were those miles like? Did you really just open it up? What was kind of your splits going down that if you remember any, uh, with any sub fives, uh, kind of walk us through those miles. <laughs> well, I did not PR in the mile, unlike some people, but um <laughs> No, <laughs> no, I, uh, the last two miles I um, remember specifically, and I was able just to, uh, squeak under, uh, the six minute pace, uh, for the last couple miles. Um, but I just felt really good coming down that road, really smooth. And I mean, granted it was, a, a nice, um, downhill. So really got to open up and got, uh, rolling and, um, it did help a little bit because there was a, a guy a few minutes ahead. So, um, just to kind of get me through the last couple of miles, I, um, kind of had my target on him. Did not catch him, but it definitely helped get me, um, get me rolling the last couple of miles. So you kind of referring to the fact that I was, you know, carrying a camera and I had to keep up with you. We were running like crazy fast, five low five minute pace the last mile uh, into the finish there. And I had to pass you, cut like run ahead and I actually PR'd yeah. in the mile. So I appreciate you kind of helping me, yeah. you know, accomplish that goal out there that I didn't know was uh, possible. So I you're very that. welcome. Of course, that was yeah. my whole plan the entire time. <laughs> I literally, I remember I told you, I was like, please just let me create a gap here. Like, don't pass me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, That was awesome. But yeah, kind of going back up. So you're like mile 20 or so at the race this point. Um, You know, you have a big climb coming uh, around mile 26. What was your strategy there? What was that uh, the apple orchard climb like? Um, Was it harder than you expected? Was it easier? Kind of just walk us through uh, that section of the race. So I feel like from mile maybe 18 up until that point, uh, that's really all I could think about. Like I've heard, I've heard the stories about that climb. I've heard everyone's, um, description and experience. And I knew how, um, how much of a climb that was, but I guess during those miles, um, which that's that whole section, um, leading up to it is just kind of, was definitely a blur. Um, because all I could think about was this, uh, this climb that everyone talks about. Uh, so I had, I think, I mean, it was very, it was a very difficult climb, like by any means. I mean, there was a lot of hiking, definitely, um, fell uphill twice, uh, which is on camera. Um, but, uh, I think the miles leading up to that, I had built this up to be something that was going to be absolutely terrible. Like in my mind, I was going to be, um, just going straight up for three or four miles which it definitely is, but, um, I built it up so much in my mind leading up to it that it wasn't as bad, which definitely helped out, helped me get through it. Um, still very difficult. Uh, I think that was the hardest part of the course, uh, to stay on track. It was very well marked, but, um, there was a couple of sections where I was kind of looking around to make sure that, um, I saw the, the markers, uh, but it was, it was a challenge for sure. 
So do you think that strategy helped you out and just kind of knowing that, okay, I'm just going to try to mentally prepare. This is the hardest climb I could ever even fathom. And then when you get to race day, it's actually not as bad. Was that kind of a good mental strategy you think for other people to possibly try out on that climb moving forward? I, I think it definitely worked for me. I mean, the, the only thing is, is I, I was fortunate enough to not let it ruin the miles before that. Um, but it was a big stressor leading up to it. So it, it can definitely go one of two ways. Like if you let it, um, completely consume the rest of the race and completely shut down and, and, um, and not get motivated through the, the section leading up to it, then it can definitely negatively affect. But, um, for me in this specific race, I feel like it, it helps because once I got to it, it wasn't as scary as I had imagined. And it was easier to get through, um, that climb. And it, it almost went quicker than what I thought. For some reason, I thought it was going to feel like it was two hours of my life when in reality, it didn't feel that long. Did you know at any point, because now you're saying mile 26, did you know you were under course record pace by a significant amount of time? Or was it, were you even thinking about that at that point of, of the race? Um, I knew with the the splits and uh the the paces that I'd hit in the previous sections that I was like under it but I didn't know by how much and honestly I I had I think it was right whenever you had uh took off and said don't pass me I uh, started like looking at my watch and I rem- had the the course record in my head but for some reason at that moment I started freaking out and I thought oh wait a second I think uh I I think I'm already at it. Like, I, I don't think I'm going to get this. So I pulled out the pace chart coming down the hill with like less than a mile to go. And I'm like squinting at this pace chart that Mike, uh, had created for me and trying to like check the time to make sure that I was like under it. So at that point, then I knew that, um, I, I was under it by a decent amount. Well, look who decided to join us. I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah. <laughs> We got you. Michael Owen, welcome to Ridge Runners Live. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, didn't think I'd make it, but I'm here. <laughs> We're glad you made it. We're at the end of, or nearing the end of uh, Sarah's journey in the Promised Land uh, race. So we're just finishing up her uh, last couple miles here. Awesome. I'll, uh, I'll tune in and hear what she has to say. Oh gosh. <laughs> So kind of when you coming into the finish line, Sarah, and kind of realizing, you know, all the emotions, the, all the cheering and all the people, uh, what was that moment like for you? Uh, and kind of realizing that you did beat the course record by 20 plus minutes. Um, I feel like that's such a hard, like feeling to really fully explain, but I mean, leading up into something that you set such a big goal for, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it, right? Like, you put a lot of time, you put a lot of effort. Um, and even that day you're putting it all out there that day, uh, you're uncomfortable for five plus hours. So crossing the finish line and seeing that whatever your goal is in general, um, to be able to hit that goal, it's, I feel like it's refreshing and and rewarding and just a whole bunch of emotions. Um, and I feel like personally for me, um, this being my first mountain race and this much elevation in one day, I feel like it was, it was a way I, I proved to myself that I can run a race like this and I can succeed at a race like this. 
So um, it was definitely uh, just a big, a big day for, for me um, proving to myself. Yeah, absolutely. That's, um, that's great to hear. Well, now uh, transition to our second guest who has, you know, um, decided to finally join us tonight. Michael Owen, how are you doing tonight? Good, Cam. I'm good. It's been a busy day and uh, capping off with the best part of the day, to be honest. Talking to you, Cam. <laughs> that's, that, that sounds like a really rough day, to be frank. Um, but anyways, so bring us into your Promised Land 50K a little bit, Michael. We know, like Sarah, you ran at um, the Super Bowl 50K Trail Championships in Worcester, but you didn't quite have the same race she did there. In fact, she beat you. What did that do for you rolling into Promised Land, knowing that this is a much bigger race and a, a much more important one to you, frankly? Yeah. So, you know, as, as many of you know, and and a lot of you guys know, I've dealt with basically a 12 month long injury, uh, by far in my running career, like the longest sustaining sustained injury that I've ever had. And, and, uh, you know, the whole, basically, uh, last nine months of 2020, just really frustrated with that. And training was, uh, interrupted, you know, basically every week, uh, and to, to the point in 2020 where I didn't run a step in the month of November, barely ran in October, started easing back into it in December. And, uh, so Super Bowl, when March came rolled, uh, rolled around, I was still kind of in that rehab period of, of an Achilles injury. And so, um, I still wasn't fully confident in early March and in fact, there was still days where I was having Achilles and lower leg pain. And so the fitness was kind of there for a 50K. Like obviously, um, when you're kind of like rehabbing and, and backing off mileage, when things flare up, you can't fully get to the fitness level you want to or might uh, expect to be at. So Super Bowl to me in March was... A, a good first test for my Achilles and I got through it pretty well. It was, you know, a couple of days after it was kind of like, uh, nagging me. And, uh, but fortunately, um, I think it also set me on the path of, of kind of getting fully recovered. And so, um, it kind of like worked out some kinks or something. Uh, so the rest of March, I was able to kind of train at full health. Um, so yeah, obviously Super Bowl for me was, um, you know, the pace just wasn't, uh, comparable to even, you know, I ran a faster pace at promised land, uh, that has almost twice the amount of vert and three miles longer. Um, so Super Bowl was a great stepping stone, uh, to kind of get back to health. Uh, and so, you know, I wasn't too concerned about the time or too concerned about how I placed there. Uh, you know, Sarah beat me and, and that was, kind of crazy and, and cool at the same time. But, uh, it was, it was kind of, I'm glad I did it a month and a half or so before promised land to have had kind of like working the race jitters out a bit and, and working the kinks out. Going into a race like promised land that you've run, uh, I believe four times now, three wins, 
Um, so what was your mindset like? Cause you're obviously coming back from the injury. You weren't going to go out for a course record. I don't believe uh, this year, but what was your mindset like kind of going into the race this year with the competitive men's field that was out there, uh, at the field at the race this year? Yeah. So, th- so promised land means a lot to me. It's, it's been now for four straight years. Well, really five straight years, uh, you know, take away pandemic year. Um, my springtime focus uh, my, one of my mentor early ultra mentors, Eric Grossman has the course record at promised land. And I was there to witness that in 2012 as one of his crew members. Uh, he was 44 years old when he did that. Um, that day in t- 2012 made promised land a special event for me. And then, so when I started participating myself a few years ago, um, I really, um, just took the different aspects of that race and made it kind of mine, my, my little springtime, uh, project. And so this year is a little bit different because I wasn't going for the course record. Uh, my fitness in my mind was not where it needed to be to get the course record. I, I ran 431 at this race, uh, four year, five years ago, uh, 2017, uh, however many years ago that is. And, uh, I know like that was still six minutes off the course record and I was so fit that year. And so this year coming off the injury, working my way back into fitness, I wasn't expecting a course record. I game planned that way. So, um, you know, I went out with a much concert, much more conservative approach. And, um, from a competition standpoint, I honestly, I mean, I obviously looked at the entrant list to see who was going to be in the race with me. I knew several, top, top contenders personally. And so I know who they are and I just naturally kind of like respect them, but honestly it wasn't part of the game plan. I wasn't there to go head to head against the person that goes out front. Like I was trusting my experience on the course, trusting, um, my intuition with fitness and, uh, it ended up paying off. Take us through those early miles. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, the, that race just starts so fast. Uh, where are you kind of in the mix of it all, say, like the first 10 miles or so? And did you ever freak out like, oh, I'm back here in like I don't know, 10th place or, or whatnot at any point? Well, it's a it's the same start, 5.30 a.m., so it's still very dark. Uh, headlamps are very much needed. And uh, it's an immediate 4,000-foot climb to the, the uh, you know the first the first mountain, Ungan Mountain, and uh, so I was just kind of back there uh, running the paces that I wanted to run, and I was probably twelfth to fifteenth place at three miles where the tr- where the gravel turns into trail. Um, I was perfectly happy with being in twelfth or fifteenth place, and uh, you know I looked up there and. I couldn't really count the people in front of me, but like Sarah was in front of me and, and, uh, our good friend Travis was in front of me and I wasn't surprised by any of that. Um, a little bit surprised Sarah was in front of me to be honest, but, uh, <laughs> um, but, but I, I had my splits like, um, for me, there was never a moment of panic, uh, with, with how I was approaching the effort. Um, effort felt great. I want to feel relaxed on that first climb every year. I want to feel relaxed. And, um, uh, so, but with that said, once you get onto 
once you kind of summit that first uh, peak at mile four, you're, you've got a nice six mile rolling grassy road that's runnable. And that's one of my strengths. And so I um, was able to get into third place probably by about mile seven or eight. And so when you say that you were able to get into third place by mile seven or eight, just because that more the flat runnable, like grassy road section was, it played more to your strengths. Did you go into that looking to move up or were you still just kind of like, I'm running my own thing. Like I'm running my own pace. I'm doing my own thing. And then everybody else in the field just kind of came back to you because of that. Yeah. It's probably a little mixture of like, they came back to me and I came up to them. Like, you know, because I ran this course, uh, four times. And I also have trained on this course many times in the past. Um, I, so I print out a pace card I put in my little pocket and it's not just a pace card, you know, it's not just the overall average pace. It's, it's broken down to translate to the course. Uh, you know, some sections are all uphill, some sections are flat, some sections are downhill. So that's just, I was just kind of adjusting to that pace and, and the goal with that, and also just effort, um, felt smooth. And so I, I pretty quickly, uh, you know, threw out like miles five, six, seven, and eight, I consistently passed, uh, those handful of people that were in front of me still. So that was, that was, that was not me competing as much as it was me, uh, kind of put myself in a spot that I felt comfortable with still. Yeah. And so then you're coming into sunset at, uh, the aid station at about mile nine and you're in third place. Now, are you, are you still thinking along those lines, knowing who's in front of you, Jordan Chang and Travis Zipful, or are you just like, whatever happens, happens? Like, was that kind of your mindset the whole day long? Or was there a switch that flipped at a certain point and you were like, well, now I'm, I'm racing and I'm trying to like catch these guys specifically. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously always that switch, from a competition standpoint in, in my eyes, um, at mile 13 at sunset fields, you know, I, I saw you sitting there with your hood open of your Forester. And I, I just, you know, had a nice little greeting there with you and that, but that next section from sunset fields down into Cornelius aid station at mile, uh, 17, um, is a very technical, well, technical in my books, technical in Ohio, uh, but steep mo- mostly. Uh, steep and rocky that section for me it's never pleasant and uh, it's it's just a a brutal downhill it's very very much one that you have to protect yourself so that section I was fully focused on just watching where I'm landing uh, protecting the quads protecting my feet Um, but looking back after the race it's also where I gained um, two minutes on Jordan it's where I caught Travis um it, it used uh, running downhill like on steep stuff like that was a big weakness in my ultra running uh, toolkit four or five years ago. And uh, I've, I've really focused, I guess, over the years on kind of becoming a better downhill runner. And so just so happened, like I thought I was kind of being timid actually in the race, but uh, it actually became a point of the race where I uh, made some time up on, Jordan and Travis at that point, I caught Travis going into the aid station and, uh, I still, I still didn't really know where Jordan was. 
at that point. So Travis and I were in second and third place, um, which led us right into the dark side, um, which for me, I absolutely love the dark side. It's a point of the course where I've built, you know, everyone says the apple, apple orchard climb at mile 26 is the make or break point of the course. I believe it's starting at mile um, 15 on the dark side. I, I really believe that's the make or break point of the race. And so I did go into that wanting to feel good. And uh, once again, though, I was still wanting to run the splits I laid out. And uh, I knew that I've, if I was able to run those splits at that point in the race, halfway through or mile 20, then that meant that I was going to have a pretty good day. And so um, I never really actually thought, okay, I'm going to go after Jordan or, oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to try to separate from Travis or anything. I never really had those thoughts as much as, okay, if I'm able to run my splits, that means I've got the energy, I've got the legs, I've got the, you know, um, fortitude at that point in the race to, to keep on those splits, which is a good thing. And so uh, when you did eventually catch up to Jordan and take over the lead, what was that? What was that kind of like when you saw him like up ahead on the trail? Um, were you just like, yep, this is going exactly as I planned it to. And you just kept doing your own thing. and just knew he would come back. Um, did he greet you as you passed? Was he just like, <laughs> damn it, of course, Michael. Um, you know, or like, what was that situation like? Uh, do you have any strategies when you pass people like that to take over the lead of a race? Does your mindset change going from being, you know, 12th at four miles to being first uh, when you caught him? Yeah, so it was actually really cool for me. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know if it was very cool for Jordan, but it, it was a really awesome moment in my race when I caught up and passed Jordan. So there's a small little out and back at mile 26. Runners have to go in and out of Cornelius Creek Aid Station a second time before they start their big three mile, 3000 foot climb up apple orchard. And so it's about a football field length for that little out and back. And as I was going into the aid station, Jordan had just left. And so we had that little, you know, that little intersection and, you know, it was a you know, Jordan and I've raced for years. I mean, we've probably raced, I don't know, a dozen times or something in Virginia. Um, and so we know each other pretty well. And so it was a, it was a, like a, you know, we smiled and waved and, and then uh, that was a pretty cool moment because kind of like as this course lends itself to, it's pretty cool to be with somebody with eight miles ago on the biggest climb of the day. Um, and I was only 40, uh, I don't know, 30 to 40 seconds behind Jordan. And so that was my first, I mean, I had, I had not seen him the whole race. And so I didn't know how far back I was um, up to that point. And so that certainly... Uh, I mean, it didn't change my approach, but it certainly gave me like probably some extra motivation or extra focus. Like I was able to kind of like, refocus. So I grabbed uh, just a refill of tailwind or something at Cornelius Creek and pretty quickly caught up to Jordan, like within half a mile. And I, so going into Apple Orchard Climb, it's fairly mellow at the first uh, mile or so, but then it gets pretty steep where you're gaining 750 to 800 feet per mile for the next two miles. And so I wasn't pushing cause I, I didn't want to uh, go into that climb like pressing, but I caught up to him and I just stepped behind him a little bit and uh, 
I don't know how well accepted that is in, in a competition, but uh, I like to kind of just relax a bit in that moment from a preference standpoint. Um, I'm in no rush to pass people with eight miles to go in a 50K. I, my, my idea is that if I were to get excited and pass somebody um, you know, w- without really uh, giving it much thought, you're at a much, like, much more likely um, opportunity to, to bonk or something later, you know? So I, I just kind of like sat behind Jordan for a mile or so until we got to where the, the steep climb started and he kind of waved me beyond, you know, waved me by. And so I passed him there. And, and, uh, at that point I just focused on trying to climb up that steep hill. Um, I don't really know if anyone can push on that hill. So I just kind of did my thing and he did his thing and it separated just a tad bit when we got to the top. So what was it like, obviously, coming off of that Blarcher climb and knowing that you've got the big descent uh, to the to the finish there? Uh, did you ever fear that he was going to catch you, or did you just kind of put your head down and not even look back? Yeah, I mean, I, I looked back near the top of the climb, and I saw him still, like, you know, you're, when you're when you're kind of walking hands uh, hands on knees on a steep climb like that, you two minutes is still within sight behind you. And so I was able to see him even at the very top of the climb, I kind of thought, okay, I'm probably two to three minutes ahead of him still. And so that meant I I climbed well, that meant he climbed well. So it's not like he was, he wasn't, he wasn't bonking or anything like that. You know, it was just, I had a little bit, you know, just a few minute climb faster than him. But to, you know, to be honest, my whole mindset when I did link up with Jordan was if I'm able to get to the top of that, climb ahead of him i know that i've got a decent amount of leg speed on the downhill and uh and my legs felt good so i knew i trusted that that downhill would would come that way and so i was i was pretty confident when i hit the last aid station with five miles to go um had another couple miles on trail before it turned into that gravel road and and uh just in the years past i've i've been able to um have the legs to run like sub six minute pace, um, on that gravel road. And so, yeah, when I had a two or three minute lead on him with three, with uh, five miles ago, I felt, you know, it, it was based on how I felt. Like if I didn't feel good and I would be totally worried, um, things can happen at that race like that. But, uh, I didn't feel like I was cramping or I didn't have too much soreness at that point. And, and so I felt pretty confident going into the, to the finish line at that point. What were your emotions like? Obviously, you've done it two previous times, and this was your third win there. But what was the emotions like? You know, crossing the finish line and seeing Doctor Horton there uh, waiting for you. <laughs> well, it's kind of like a sort of like a sigh of relief in a way. Um, like, okay, like I've kind of turned the page with this stupid Achilles injury, and you know, knock on wood, it's felt good in the three or four days since the race. Um, and, and you know, like it, it's. It's also just not that likely to feel good at Promised Land, and I felt good, and I don't know what that is attributed to. Um, maybe coming into a race without a ton of months of training is is a way to approach some of these fifty k's. Um, but I certainly um, felt worse in years past finishing that race and going into the last ten miles of Promised Land. So I was just 
kind of like breathed a big sigh of relief and and uh, was was uh, just relieved in a, in a way that um, I had the opportunity to race again and uh, and to get healthy. You know, like Promise Land is so special and and um, I'd hate to go into it in the shape that I was in four months ago. I would have, who knows what would have happened. And so just like having a long-term goal, you know, it's been the goal of a goal of mine to get healthy for promised land since, um, you know, really <laughs> since I've had the injury, um, but really like focused on it, like in December and uh, knew I had four or five months to do it and uh, kind of cool to put it together on race day. Well, we want to say congratulations to both of you on the epic performances that you guys laid out there at Promise Land this year. I think everyone there uh, was totally just uh, blown away by both of you guys. Obviously, Sarah setting a new course record and then Michael just doing what he does uh, at that race, which was totally awesome to see. Uh, let's transition a little bit. We still have a couple minutes left, but let's dive into what's next for you guys. Obviously, Regeneration is always curious on what's going on next. And these are both kind of A races for you guys. So what's your next A race as you kind of jumpstart this new part of your year? And Sarah, if you want to kick things off. So I'm hoping uh, to get into the Leadville 50 in July. I'm on the wait list, but not too far onto the wait list. So that's the plan for now. Is there a way we can like reach out to the race director and get you in after your promised land course record here? I mean, this is ridiculous. I hope so. I don't know. <laughs> Coach? Uh <laughs> <laughs> I'm a race director too. So I don't, I don't know what race directors think when you reach out to them, but I would think Sarah will get in. It seems like Leadville has some kind of process like to get these waitlist people in, but it's that organization's just, uh, you know, you don't, you don't know what you're getting with lifetime fitness. To be honest. Yeah. Probably the least transparent race organization out there, but, uh, they should do better anyway. Um, I, yeah, <laughs> I am in the Leadville 50 miler. <laughs> Big transition. <laughs> yeah. Exactly like that. Tell us um, how you really feel, Michael. <laughs> well, they could just, uh, you know, just, yeah. Um, I just love Leadville to be honest, the town of Leadville and the, and the surrounding running routes in Leadville. So that's why I'm doing that race. And, um, uh, my family's on, and I have spent some time out in Leadville the past few years, uh, camping and, and exploring the mountains. And, um, so that, yeah, I'll be gearing up for Leadville, but it's not going to be like an a race. Uh, it's kind of cramping my style with, uh, to be honest, like I have all these plans to do in Colorado and this race is like right in the middle of all those plans. And it's like, um, you know, having to kind of taper or rest afterwards is, is going to be taken away from some of the mountain time. But, uh, I'll be, I'll be looking forward to doing that race, but, uh, my year goal, uh, kind of the a race would, is gearing up for the Wasatch hundred miler in September, uh, in the Wasatch range of Utah. And so that's a good ways off, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll probably just kind of ease through the training. Um, as I've gotten a bit older and, and gotten through this injury, I've been just more respectful of health and rest. Um, definitely, I definitely love to hit it hard. I can, but also, um, as I've gotten a bit smarter and older, um, to equally respect the rest along with that hard, long running. So I'll, I'll do my best at trying to, uh, 
do all that and be healthy for September. Sounds good. And we, uh, we got a question from the chat, um, oh, from no. Eric Anderson. Um, and he just says, and I'll read this verbatim. Michael want to talk about his hockey coaching gig. Yeah. So Michael, talk about it, Michael. Do you want to oh. talk about it? Yeah, totally. So, um, kind of a cool new opportunity. What are you smiling at Wes? <laughs> um, what were you uh, delayed for today? <laughs> yeah. You know, I've, I've got all these different things I'm doing in life. That's all running centered, but, uh, so yeah. Um, Hawking College, small uh, community college in Nelsonville, Ohio, just north of Athens. They just added a cross-country program, and uh, I was hired as the head men's and women's coach. And so um, it's it's been kind of a cool switch of uh, – not, not switch of focus, but kind of like a, a fun aspect of life now is recruiting kids in high school to get them in, interested in Hawking and to enroll and um, – so, you know, actually, that's, that's why I missed uh, the start of this live show tonight, because I was at a track meet and I got sidetracked uh, with talking to a couple kids and and uh, some talking to some parents of kids and stuff and getting them interested in enrolling and, and joining the cross-country team at Hopkins College. So, um, you know, I, I taught trail running at OU for seven years and uh, it was really awesome to see students get involved with trail running. Now this is a little bit different with cross country, but um, I think I have a feeling that we'll be very trail focused for a college program. And so we start first season in the fall 2021. And so if you have any coaches or seniors or juniors in high school, um, let them know that Hawking College can be an option for them as they go into college and uh, and let them know that it's going to be a, a whole new experience. It's not going to be your typical cross country uh collegiate experience it'll be a little bit unique sarah so you've run uh cross country in college and uh, high school but what was it what was you leave a yelp review for michael and his coaching uh philosophies oh and all that stuff if you really wanted to you know have 150 characters you know throw it on google or whatnot what would you kind of leave uh for him 150 characters <laughs> there's not enough time um, for this <laughs> I mean, I could write a book. <laughs> uh, no, uh, he does great. Um, I I feel like I'm in the best shape and the strongest that I have been um, since starting running. So I feel like that alone is a pretty good one-liner um, for how things have been going. So go to Hawking. <laughs> And then kind of flipping the script now, Michael, what's it been like to coach someone that's been as open in their, in their training and has bought in, you know, to the trail scene as much as Sarah has? Well, so honestly, like, you know, people have asked me, like, kind of what that's like recently. And I haven't had to do anything from a fitness and strength standpoint. Like, yes, I'm designing workouts and I'm prescribing a program. But a lot of this is just getting Sarah into the trail scene. And there's a lot of nuances and, and different subtleties of trail running that um, I think uh, is, is been really good for her. And, uh, you know, like Promised Land is a whole different ball game for uh, – look at that dog. It's, it's <laughs> I was going to say, we got to stop the show. <laughs> he finally showed up. What is your dog's oh, name for rejuvenation that doesn't uh, uh, know? This is Jackson. He's my golden doodle baby. 
How old is Sorry. he? Sorry. He's three. Perfect. Welcome, Jackson, to Rich Hunters Live. Uh, again, <laughs> Michael, you Bless can continue. Oh, yeah. But, you know, like, as, as soon as Sarah bought into trail running and and understood what it meant to be out on a promising course and wrapped her mind around, like, how to approach it from breaking down the different sections and, and understanding what technical trails mean and understand what pacing herself in a trail race compared to a road marathon meant, she was golden. Like, you know, like it's not really me doing much except for just uh, giving a little bit of guidance and helping develop some racing plan. And uh, just from a training standpoint, it's really just about getting specific as the race approaches. And, uh, you know, like Sarah lives in Columbus and uh, she just won a big mountain race. Um, who, who else is doing that, you know? And uh, it's just f- from what I'm kind of approaching it as, it's like throwing in specific stuff at the right time and then resting at the right time. And uh, like, you don't need to go hardcore on, uh, you know, steep technical stuff every day but it, it's important to do it. Sometimes, um, you get a pretty quick adaptation. Um, when you do it, you know, just a hand, just a little bit, um, at the right time. So for Sarah, like, she, you know, like she said, she's as strong as ever. It's not taking away her speed and it's, uh, if anything, it's making her strong and using some muscles that she's probably not developed with road marathoning. So it's been real exciting. So you guys have both been on the show. So you guys know all of our quick questions uh, to this point. We're not going to make you answer those like, for the ninth time, probably uh, for Regeners. But we, I do want to play a different game that we've kind of never played before on Regeners Live here at the end. And this is something that I uh, believe, you know, I got a couple text messages after this race ended. And it's basically, why isn't Sarah sponsored yet? So we're going to play a game and it's going to be called Pick Your Sponsor. So Sarah, oh, no. you could, if you could like, you know, dream world here where you could just have like, you know, five brands that would sponsor you what brands would they be and why would you choose them this is stressful um i'm not fully prepared for this oh my gosh well i really well, just, like Hoka. Just go over yeah just go over the kit you wore or like the stuff you oh. wore at promise land or something you know um i really sorry it's distracting um so spring energy has been basically the only thing that my stomach can handle um and tailwind i absolutely love tailwind um i i wore the north face uh trail running shoes and love those i don't have a lot to compare for trail running shoes but i love those um what am i at right now i don't know (laughs) um i the rabbit jersey i really liked and um Oh, I wear uh, Hoka trainers on a regular basis, and I love those. See, this is what I love okay. because most trail runners are all about the gear and not as much about the training. It's like you don't need to be, like, into all this stuff. Like, it's just, uh, you know, it's all fluff. Like, you just get some gear and wear it and, and kick butt out on the trails. And uh, that that would be a huge uh, word of advice that I would have for any new trail runners, like, like don't even have a favorite shoe don't even have a favorite brand like don't have a favorite stuff just go train and you'll do well and so i love that sarah isn't like 
yeah, she does. She has a hard time answering that question because she doesn't have a lot of experience with all this different gear. But I think it's better to to be that way. I, yeah, I I mean I don't have a lot to compare it to, but I I feel like I can. I mean I just kind of pick some stuff like the North Face shoes. Tried them on once. Really liked how they fit on my feet, and really liked them in the race. I don't know. Still learning all of the uh, the gear and stuff too. So kind of clueless. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. And, you know, Michael, your comment there makes made Nick Voss cry a little bit. I can already tell, you know, he's big, big gear guy, not a lot of training. And I know he's going to be taking offense to that. Uh, as I was not training. directing that at him. <laughs> your words are not ours. I'm directing it to the whole ultra running community. So come at me. Wow. 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 No, uh, this is, this has been a lot of fun guys. Uh, we're going to get out of here before we do, uh, do you guys have anyone you want guys want to say thank you to, or just any final, uh, closing thoughts and Sarah, you can start. Um, well, the, that one's easy. Uh, definitely Mike. Um, I, like I've said before, I'm pretty sure I'd be lost on some trail. Um, so definitely Mike. Thanks. Love to get you a, a nice, uh, topo or like a app for not getting lost on trails you'll be you'll be good yeah maybe <laughs> probably not um i'd like to think uh well so one cool thing about promised land was that there was some pretty cool people from the ohio running scene that came down and so that was just a ton of fun and i i got this sense like as soon as i pulled into the promised land camp of like a heightened excitement at the camp, like, you know, I was a little bit late getting there maybe, but like the whole place was filled up early. And, and so anyway, you know, my wife ran the 50 K Nick Voss came in from, uh, Denver to run the 50 K Travis came down, uh, Maggie from Athens came down, ran, uh, 50 K. And so it was just kind of cool and, uh, very thankful for the community of ultra runners and trail runners in Southern Ohio. Um, you know, just, over the course of the last 12 months, uh, we've not had a lot of things to kind of like watch out for. And so this was in my eyes, kind of the kickstart to the next, uh, chapter of growth for the trail running community in Southern Ohio. And, um, um, thankful for the community. Yeah. Great way to, uh, sort of end us there, Mo. Um, yeah, so that'll be our show for tonight. Uh, we want to thank you guys so much for joining us. With Sarah Beal and Mike Lowen, winners of this year's Promised Land 50K. Um, Sarah Beal, also the new course record holder at that race. Mike Lowen, maybe one day. Uh, we're, we're rooting for you. Anyways, uh, thank you all so much for joining us tonight. We will see you on the next one. Ridge Runner Nation, thank you again for tuning into another Ridge Runners live show. Remember, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out as well. If you don't follow us on social media, make sure to give us a follow. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, join our Strava Club so you can get mentioned in the Strava Rundown every single week. We'll see you next week, Rosanna Nation. Nation.